do you want to go to heaven? I have no doubt that you do. But what about me? Do you want me to go to heaven? What about all these folks that we see around us this morning? Just take a look around you at the brethren that are here as we gather to worship God. Do you want them to go to heaven? I have no doubt that all of us in this room want every one of us to go to heaven. But do you realize that there is in fact somebody who does not want us to go to heaven? There is somebody who will stop at nothing to overthrow our spiritual lives and to cast us into the pits of hell. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The devil is stalking us. He's stalking our families. He is stalking our brethren. He wants to drag us into the pits of hell with Him for eternity. And what do we do when in His attacks He has success? Ephesians chapter 6 and about verse 14 talks about the fiery darts of the devil. And how many times does he take aim? And our brother or sister's guard is down and they are struck by the dart of the devil and they stumble and they fall on the battlefield. What do we do in that moment? When Satan has success among God's people, we must not sit idly by. We must not allow our brothers and sisters to be carried away from us in this battle. But rather, we must stand up and fight. We must learn how to restore our brethren. What God has established His pattern for when one of our brothers or sisters fall in the battle. We want to take a look at that very briefly this morning. But before we do, would you bow with me in prayer, please? Glorious Father in heaven, we are in awe of You. We are amazed at Your power, Your creation, Your power to sustain this universe. You indeed are the Judge, the Redeemer, the Creator, immortal, immortal, invisible, God only wants. And we are in awe of You. We know that all that we have has come from Your hand. And we offer it back to You to use to serve and honor and glorify You and to serve Your children. But Father, for all of that, what we are most amazed by is Your mercy and grace through the blood of Your Son that washes our sins away, that has purified us from lawless deeds and set us upon our feet so that we might be Your nation and Your people that would be zealous for good deeds. And we pray that You would be with us, that we would provoke and stimulate one another to those love and good deeds. And Father, we pray that You would help us when we see our brethren fall, that we will not sit idly by, that we will not stand in judgment, that we'll not look down condescendingly, but realize that we're all on this journey. And that at times all of us will be in that situation. And that we with a spirit of gentleness will restore our brethren, our brothers and sisters who fall. We pray that You would give us honest hearts, that where we are not keeping Your Word, when our brethren come to us and try to lift us up and help us to be more like Your Son, that we will submit and be thankful and not angry. Father, forgive us because we know we've sinned. 
We've said words that we shouldn't say and been entertained by sin and immorality. We have neglected to spread Your Gospel in too many times. Father, we pray that You would wash our sins away and strengthen us. Set us on the broad place that as we battle against Satan, we might win the victory through Your Son. It's through Him that we pray. Amen. So what do we do? The battle is being fought. Satan has taken aim and he has shot his fiery dart and it's hit our brother or sister in the heart and they have stumbled and they have fallen into sin. They're lying wounded on the battlefield. What is our responsibility? The very first thing we need to do, probably obvious, we need to pray. There in Ephesians chapter 6, as it had talked about the battle that we face, as Paul talked about putting on the armor of God. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18, he said, "...with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints." This is our responsibility at all times, but it's never greater than when we've seen our brother or our sister fall. We need to pray with perseverance and petition for all the saints. We need to be on the alert, looking about us and seeing what's going on in our brothers' lives so that we might pray for our brothers and sisters. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, Paul wrote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. At all times we must not be anxious, but pray, relying on God. And that's exactly the approach we need to take. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in our individual lives. We need to be praying within the congregation. And I think about that. How upset we would be if somebody got sick and they were near death physically, and yet we never mentioned them, they never got in the bulletin, they never got on our overheads, they never got mentioned in the announcements, and we didn't pray, we would be so extremely upset. And yet somebody is sinning, and if we mention that, we get upset. And yet the very first thing we need to do when we see our brother or sister falling into sin is to pray for them individually, congregationally. We need to spend time with other Christians praying. There might even be the time, as we're going to learn later in this lesson, to get with the brother or sister who's fallen and pray with them. But the very first thing we need to do when we want to restore a brother is we need to pray. And we need to understand that Satan does not want us to do this. Satan doesn't want us to turn to God to try to restore our brethren. Satan doesn't want us to call upon the power of God in the work that we're doing as Christians and as a local congregation. Satan wants us to rely on us and on our own strength and on our own wisdom. But if we're going to restore a brother or sister, God wants us to pray. The very next thing is the difficult thing. According to the pattern of God, we've got to address that brother or sister. We've got to go to them. We've got to talk to them. James chapter 5. James chapter 5 and verse 19. As James is concluding his book, he says, My brethren, if any man among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Our responsibility is to go to them, to help turn them away from their sins. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, 
You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. God wants us to go and in a spirit of gentleness to restore the brother who is sinning. Do you see in this verse the two classes of people? There is the one who has become worldly minded that is out there hiding in sin and committing sin. And there's the one that's spiritual. We're one or the other. Either we're the one that needs to be restored by the spiritual brother or sister, or we're the spiritual brother and sister that needs to be going about helping restore those who have fallen. But God wants us to go to them. Now, Satan doesn't want us to do that. Satan doesn't want us to actually go talk to the brother or sister who has committed sin. Satan wants us to excuse ourselves of our responsibility. Satan wants us to justify the sin, to ignore the sin, to excuse the sin. Satan wants us to tell somebody else about the sin. Satan wants us to sit back and hope that the preacher will talk about the sin. Satan wants us to sit back and complain because the elders haven't done anything about the sin that we've seen. But what God wants us to do is to go to the brother or sister that we have seen in sin. In Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17 and verse 3, Jesus told His disciples in Luke 17 and verse 3, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. In Matthew chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15, more instruction is given in this regard. It says in Matthew 18 and verse 15, If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Let me point out to you, by the way, something. Some of your translations have the words, if your brother sins against you. My understanding is that against you is not in the text. A lot of people have used that as a reason why they're not going to go talk to somebody who's in sin. Oh, they didn't sin against me, so I don't have any responsibility. If your brother sins, Go and tell him his fault. How? In private. God wants us in this battle to go to our brother or our sister and to talk to them about the sin that they have committed. We need to remember Galatians 6.1. We need to do so with a spirit of gentleness. And I think we struggle with that. It's hard for us to understand the idea of having a gentle rebuke. In our minds, it's either a rebuke or it's gentle. And yet, the Scripture points out that we are to offer a rebuke, but when we do so, it's to be gentle. A rebuke is merely an admonition, a charge to somebody that they would stop doing what is wrong, that they would start doing what is right. And we need to go to them and talk with them in a spirit of gentleness. There in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, do you remember the last thing it said in that verse? Looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Oh, it's possible that the point there is, and I I know this is included, that when we go talk to our brother or sister about a sin that we know they're committing, we need to be careful that we will not be tempted to commit the same sin. But the real crux of that point is about our attitude. That as we go to talk to them, we need to look to ourselves to make sure that We are talking in a way that is beneficial, that is not sin ourselves. That we are not coming from on high, condescending to avenge or put them in their place or to, to, I told you so. We need to get that kind of idea out of our mind. What's the goal here? The goal is not to put people in their place. The goal is to help brethren get back on their feet so they can serve the Lord and go to heaven. 
And in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 3, it says, If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. As we go to our brethren who have fallen, we need to remember that they are not different from us. We're on the same journey. We're just at different legs of the journey. And one day it's going to be us. In fact, one day it has been us. And how do we want folks to come talk to us about these things? And we need to be willing to go talk to them, to restore them, to strengthen them, to lift them up so they can go to heaven, overcoming the tempter. Now let me point out one thing. The rule is that this is to be done in private. However, there are exceptions. Galatians chapter 2 demonstrates this. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 11, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy, with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Excuse me, but when I saw in verse 14 that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, If you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul addressed Peter publicly, but notice the very public nature of his sin. The fact that all knew about it, and in fact many had been carried into sin themselves. And so Paul addressed Peter publicly so that the community would know that the sin was being dealt with and so that others who had been led astray would also repent. And so in that situation, there is a time to approach and to rebuke even publicly in that scenario. If he listens, Matthew 18 said, we have won our brother. But sadly, our brother will not always listen. And when that brother doesn't listen, the church must discipline. The church must take action. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 Jesus, through Paul, says that He wants to present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. The Lord does not want His church to be riddled with those who live in rebellious sin. We're not talking about just those who have struggled and who have fallen, but we're talking about those who have lived in rebellious sin and continuing to regard iniquity in their heart instead of turning away from it. In Revelation chapter 2, Two of the churches were rebuked because they allowed the continued fellowship with those who are rebelling in sin. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 14, he says, I have a few things against you, because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. So you also have some who in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And then down in verse 20, as he wrote to Thyatira, he said, I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she doesn't want to repent of her immorality. And he continues the rebuke in the verses to follow. Jesus wants his church to be holy and blameless, lifted up without spot or wrinkle. And there are those who are committing rebellious sin, unrepentant, not turning to the Lord, even after approached by their brethren. 
the church must take action. Now, brethren, Satan doesn't want us to do that. Remember, Satan wants us to go to hell. Satan wants our brethren to go to hell. So he doesn't want us to do anything about unrepentant, rebellious sinners. What he'd rather us do is to be paralyzed by fear because we're just afraid that if we do something, if we take discipline on them, then their family might get mad and leave. He wants us to be worried that they might sue us and cause problems. He wants us to to sit back and hope that maybe just the preacher can preach on it and they'll figure it out on their own and they'll quit sinning. Satan doesn't want the church to take action. But God wants His congregation to take action. To restore the brother or sister who has fallen. Now, we need to keep in mind what it says in Matthew chapter 18. The church cannot take action based upon the testimony of one person. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 16, it says, this is Matthew 18 and verse 16, He says, if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of the two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Jesus is referring back to even a law under the old law. At the mouth of two or three witnesses. And if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, Deuteronomy chapter 19 and verse 15, and read the context there, it says in Deuteronomy 19 and verse 15, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed. On the evidence of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be confirmed. If a malicious witness rises up against a man to accuse him of wrongdoing, then both the men who have the dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who will be in office in those days. The judges shall investigate thoroughly, and if the witness is a false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he is intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil from among you. The rest will hear and be afraid and will never again do such an evil thing among you. Pointed out that if the two or three witnesses would bring it before the judges or the priests of the day. And I think that's essentially the same thing that Jesus is pointing out is going to happen today. That if you have seen your brother sin and you've gone to him or to the sister and they refuse to listen, now you'll carry with you one or two others. Why? So that there can be two or three witnesses to the, to the lack of repentance, to the rebelliousness that is taking place. They will come if the person doesn't listen and bring that to the church, to the elders. And no doubt they will investigate and see if that's the case. But before we look at what the church does at that point, there's one technicality that we need to point out. There in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, it says, if He refuses to listen. If you look up that phrase that's translated refuses to listen in Strong's Enhanced Lexicon or Zaziety's Word Dictionary of the New Testament, you'll find out that that word translated refuses to listen refers to those who refuse to hear and also to those who refuse to heed what they did hear. There are some people, it's almost like they're trying to play games with the church. They have the idea that if I just never talk to the elders, or if the people who call me, if I just keep putting them off, and I quit showing up, and they're just not ever able to talk to me, then the church can't do anything about that. But actually, this verse here says that if they refuse to hear, or if they refuse to heed, That's a testimony against them. If they refuse to listen, then this is what happens. And so please don't think that you can play games with the Lord's Word and with the Lord's body. 
this idea that, well, if I, as long as I don't ever answer the phone, you can't ever do anything about it. As long as I quit showing up, you can't do anything about it. As long as I don't ever let you talk to me, the church doesn't have any responsibility to take action. You've got to remember, this is not just some technicality about what we're going to do with discipline. This is our responsibility to try to help restore people and to obey the will of God. And so if a person refuses to listen, refuses to hear, what does it say should happen? Tell it to the church. And now the church is supposed to do something as a congregation. And if they refuse to listen to the church, then it goes on to say, let him be to you, verse 17, a Gentile and a tax collector. If the individual is gone and taken two or three witnesses and still no repentance, and it's taken to the church and still no repentance, then action must be taken. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 1 and 2, It is actually reported that there is immorality among you, an immorality of such a kind as does not exist even among the Gentiles, that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and had not mourned instead so that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst. Here was a congregation that had a sinner and nothing had been done about it. Nobody had gone to talk to him. They, they, had puffed, they were puffed up, but everybody knew about it. They were arrogant regarding this fellowship they had with this man. What did Paul tell them they were supposed to do? Verse 4, In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. What is this about? It's about saving his spirit. And Paul says the congregation is to deliver the sinner over to the devil. And if he doesn't listen, Matthew 18 said, then treat him as the Gentile, as the tax collector. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the immoral people. I did not mean at all with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous and the swindlers or with idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. But actually I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother. If he is an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. By the way, can I just point out to you, it does not say, actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called attender. The, the concept that so many people today have that, well, if they're not attending, we can't do anything about it. It didn't say so-called attender. It said so-called brother. They haven't stopped being a brother just because they quit attending, brethren. is not to associate with them, not even to eat with such a one. We shouldn't have common association with brethren who are living in rebellious sin, who have been approached and refused to repent, even in the face of an individual, two or three witnesses, and the entire congregation. However, we remember what Paul also wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Verse 14 and 15. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and do not associate with him so that he'll be put to shame. Yet do not regard him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. By the way, doesn't that point out that he's still a brother? Admonish him as a brother. 
our efforts even after that, when we are with that brother or sister, is to admonish them out of love because we're a part of the same family and we want them to go to heaven. Do you want them to go to heaven? I know that you do. This is what God has said we must do. And what do we do when the person repents? Hopefully throughout this process, the goal that we've been trying to achieve, it doesn't always happen. And the issue regarding what we're supposed to do regarding congregational discipline is not a pragmatic thing of let's figure out the way that most people will repent and return. That's not the point. The point is not that we're going to do what we feel is most pragmatic. The point is that we're going to obey the Lord. But the Lord's will works. And some of the folks that we deal with in this way will repent. What are we supposed to do with the brother who repents? Luke 17 and verse 3, you remember said, If your brother sins, rebuke him. It then said, If he repents, forgive him. We need to forgive our brother or sister who repents. Look in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6, it says, Sufficient for such a one is this punishment, which was inflicted by the majority, so that on the contrary you should rather forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, such a one might be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Wherefore, I urge you to reaffirm your love for him. For to this end also I wrote, so that I might put you to the test, whether you are obedient in all things. But one whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. He said there, forgive him, but he also said, comfort him. And he said to reaffirm our love for him. Luke chapter 15 demonstrates something else that we should do. In Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7, we're told the story of the lost sheep. When the lost sheep was found, in verse 6 of Luke 15, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. We should rejoice with a brother or sister who has repented and come back to the Lord. And finally, James chapter 5 and verse 16. James chapter 5. And verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. We need to pray with the brother or sister who is repentant. And pray that God would forgive them. Pray with them for strength. And so, we need to forgive. We need to comfort. We need to reaffirm our love. We need to rejoice. And we need to pray with those who have repented. Now, brother, Satan doesn't want us to do that. Satan wants us to kind of hold them at arm's length to see if the repentance is really true. Satan wants us to kind of put them on a little bit of parole and, and act like, okay, you know, you're, you're going to get this trial period and we're going to see if this is really going to take. But God wants us to forgive and comfort and reaffirm our love, to rejoice and pray with our brother or sister. I don't know why the issue of discipline in our society has become such a terrible thing. Well, I guess maybe I do. I know that folks have trouble in our society with authority. Folks have trouble in our society with, with anybody saying that anybody else is wrong. But brethren, we need to remember what this is about. 
This is not about control. This is not about being tyrants. This is not about forcing people to be like us. This is about the fact that when brothers and sisters in Christ sin, they die. And they're going to hell. And we don't want that. We want them to go to heaven. Don't you want them to go to heaven? And so God has established this pattern whereby in a spirit of gentleness we might restore our brothers and sisters who have fallen. Pray for them. Pray with them. Talk to them privately. Take two or three witnesses. Bring it to the church. If they still won't listen, then the church must take action. If they repent, forgive, comfort, reaffirm your love, rejoice, and pray. And when we follow this pattern and live in faithfulness, Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10 points out that a crown of life is waiting for us and waiting for those that we draw into Christ. Remember what it said in James chapter 5 and verse 20. James chapter 5 and verse 20, Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Would you pull out your songbook, please? Number 332. In your hymns for worship book, number 332 in the big book, I Surrender All. I don't know of anyone committing any egregious sin, but you know your situation better than I do. You know if you've been living in rebellion. And if you have, I hope that you consider the things that we've talked about today. If a brother or sister does know and they come talk to you, I pray that you would... Listen and not be angry. But why not use today's lesson as a means to spur you on, to submit to Christ and redevote yourself to Him and what you committed to when you were baptized into Christ. Purging those sins from your life. Not regarding iniquity in your heart. You don't necessarily have to come forward if that's the case, but if there's something we can do to pray with you and help you, we encourage you throughout this song to come and let us know. But we're also singing this song for those who have never come into Christ, those who have never submitted to Jesus. If you would like to become a child of God, who can be a part of this family that looks out for one another and restores those who have fallen, then forgives them and comforts and reaffirms the love for them. If you want to be a part of that family that's going to help you go to heaven, allow Jesus to wash your sins away. Submit to Him in baptism for the remission of your sins, having confessed your faith, having agreed to turn from your sins. If we can help you in whatever way, we ask that you please come right now as we stand and sing.